This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. Hey, welcome everyone. It's Clint Coons here. And in this episode, what I'm talking to is an individual who started in Boise and built up a real estate empire. I know how challenging that can be for investors when you're starting your journey and you're wondering, how do I take it to the next level? So what I wanted to do is bring on a special guest who is actually referred to me by several clients who have been following him on his podcast, The Real Estate Rundown with Shannon Robnett. Now, he's a real estate developer and syndicator with a principal focus on multifamily and industrial. He's in Boise, Idaho. I mean, he checks all the boxes, developer. He's also, he's been a real estate agent, syndicator. I think he's even a school teacher and he can explain that as well. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know what he hasn't done yet. Uh, maybe a fireman or a policeman because he builds those types of buildings as well. But anyways, I'm so happy to have him on. He's going to bring a wealth of knowledge. If you're wondering how to make that change to move into a different area of investing, or you just want to know about the market in general, what you should be looking at, here's the expert. Shannon, thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you so much, Clint. I'm not a school teacher, but I was a fire commissioner and I am a pilot. So, but you know, the thing is, I started my journey building single family homes. I was the son of a developer and a real estate agent. Uh, so I'm a fourth generation realtor. My son's a fifth. And it really has just been in our blood. And as I went along this journey, Clint, it hasn't been fast. I mean, I've been doing this for 27 years. And so when people look at where I've been able to get to and you take the full context of the picture, I'm kind of a slow learner, right? It's <laughs> taken me... It's taken me 27 years to get here, but it continues to build. You know, I started building single family homes. I didn't like homeowners and all of that. And so I started building municipal buildings and, and schools and industrial warehouse. I did my first investment property for myself in 2001. And uh, it's grown steadily from there. And in the last, uh, last three years, we've raised uh, just over $60 million in capital for placement and syndications and funds. So but it's been a heck of a journey. I wouldn't trade it. Yeah. So, you know, for a lot of people, they start out with single, I mean, wholesaling, maybe they start with and they can move into flipping and then eventually they get into single family. And I run into investors all the time that are wondering, you know, how do I make that change and move out of the, the single family to these other areas? And how were you able to make that shift? Well, you know, what I did, Clint, was I found a deal and then I I started out finding single check writers that wanted to partner with me and I would do all the work and they would put up the capital and, and we'd make a go of it and, and we'd split the profits. And it wasn't syndication per se. It was just finding and selling the idea that this is a profitable deal. And so I began to underwrite deals. I began to figure them out. And then I began to create a list of people that would probably have an interest in it. And I just began to approach them. And then I eventually ran out of people that could write the size of checks that I needed. The last one was a family office that wrote a $19 million equity check for a $64 million apartment complex. And I, I realized that being dependent on a single source was too much. And that's really kind of my journey about three years ago into the world of syndicated capital and funds. But you know, it comes down to, I don't care if you've got a single family home that you're looking to flip, find somebody that wants to partner and then do two and then do four and, and build on that and show your expertise. The other thing that I found is if my partners were making a lot of money, they were raving fans. And I think 
most of my deals, my partners looked at it, that it was a really good deal for them. And when the, it, when it's a really good deal for them, they're very likely to do it. And maybe I could have made more on each deal. But the thing was, I had people waiting around to write a check instead of trying to you know, find a skinny deal and get somebody to join me for a 20% IRR. I had people that made 35 and 40% on their money. And that may seem expensive, but because of them, I also got to do the deal. So I made any money that I made because they joined the deal. But are you finding these deals? I mean, it sounds easy, right? Just go out and find a deal. And every time I, and people say, well, how do you build your real estate portfolio? I said, oh, I found the right people. <laughs> Where the hell are these right people? You know, do you picking up rocks? I mean, yeah. so first off, let's talk about that. How do you go out there and actually find the deals? Because that's a challenge. It, it it can be a challenge. And, you know, I was talking with a friend of mine, uh, Ken McElroy, who runs a very small outfit, about $2 billion worth, right? And and I and I believe the numbers were between 20 and 22, he bought one deal. And they were underwriting three to five deals a week. So the, the numbers are that he underwrote 150 deals to buy one, right? And I think that a lot of people don't realize the amount of work that actually goes into finding the right people. You know, I mean, you put together a team, but how many frogs did you kiss? How many, how many screw ups did we have? Because the guy promised us he could do it only to never, ever return a phone call again. And now we're under contract and we've got to do it. And, and, you know, we've got seven days left and we've got to get contractors lined up and it's, and there are things that I've done. I mean, Clint, I didn't go to college, right? But I've gone to the school of hard knocks and and I like to say very convincingly that every dollar I have made came from a mistake because it was the mistake that taught me how to vet better, how to pick better, how bottom dollar on the contractor isn't likely to work out in your favor and how reputation and referral really makes things work better for you. We currently have a deal going in Florida that through a contact of a broker here in town, I was able to connect with a guy that in a matter of weeks filled uh, uh, two 40,000 square foot buildings for us that I would have never known without that connection. So relying on your current connections to get you into open the doors to other people and seeing where your network really is your net worth can really kind of get you there, but also having the mindset that you're going to do the work and you're going to underwrite 150 deals to get one. Okay. Well, that's starting. I mean, you brought up the network thing. So how did you start building your network? Because I think that's a challenge for a lot of investors. They hear the term all the time, but they, they say, where do I go? Just to Aria? Is that how I build my network? Well, you know, um, when my, when my son, he was 20 years old, 21 years old, he's 27 now, he got his real estate license and wanted to go into the business. And I told him, I said, you know, you need to start networking. And he goes, well, you know, okay, dad, but every networking event I go to, there's 10 other realtors there, right? And I said, well, there's two ways to do that. Number one, you need to be, you're the youngest. So you need to be the sharpest dressed kid in the room. So he showed up in a three-piece suit. So he was memorable. But the other thing that I told him to do was I said, you need to be everybody's connection for everything. You need to know a plumber. You need to know a mechanic. You need to know a carpenter. You need to know a tax guy. You need to know all of these people so that when people start thinking about they need something, they think about you, right? And when you're going out there and your idea of networking is not to find someone to connect with for you, it's to find someone to connect someone else in your network with, it becomes so much easier because the pressure's not there to meet somebody that can meet your need. You're out there to meet someone that you can then help them. And that mentality 
of, you know, giver's gain or give first or, you know, whatever you want to call that has worked incredibly well for me because the more I work to plug other people into the source that they want, I find deal flow through that. I find, I, I was just meeting with a couple of people last week that were a referral from somebody else that I had met and plugged in. And the guy felt like he owed me something, plugged me in with these people that I'm now working on a $6 million deal with because they needed my expertise. And because I was able to plug other people in, they saw that I was valuable and thought, well, let's talk to him about working together on this deal, you know? And so looking at that mindset of how do you connect and how do you become valuable to valuable people, you're going to start to see that come. But again, that's going to take months of laying the groundwork. And unfortunately, it took me 27 years to the point that now I can begin to say that, yes, I do have a network and I am able to plug people in. And and from that comes a lot of deal flow. So then what I'm also hearing then is if you're starting out or if you're making that transition, you want to start smaller because I'm sure you just didn't jump from the single family right into a 175 unit complex. No, 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 I did not. And what I did do was I began to, I was a merchant builder for others. And then that I was also seeing stuff that they were doing. I was watching what they were doing. You know, I, I remember meeting with a guy, I was building a, a 40,000 square foot warehouse for him. And I just asked him to help me to understand the numbers. You know, he took me in, he showed me how he was doing it. He showed me how he broke down the capital stack. He showed me all of those things because I was asking. And a lot of people will give you a lot of information if they feel that they're enhancing your life, right? If I come to you and I say, hey, Clint, I want you to tell me everything you do to save a client money on their taxes, right? I'm probably not going to get the result if I come in and say, hey, Clint, I've heard a lot of people talking about how good you are at this job. What are a couple of the simple things that, that, that most accountants overlook that you find a lot of value? Because I, I get people that come to me all the time and want to know. And if I had a little bit more information about you, I could probably make that referral very well. Then all of a sudden that role changes. And I've seen where people will come to me for advice and realize that the job's too big for them or the project's too big for them. And I wind up with it as one of my deals because they go, well, I can't do it, but do you want it, right? And it's it's in becoming uh, somebody that is connectable and asking the questions and then providing the value backwards that says, hey, thank you for that referral. By the way, I have two for you. By the way, would you be interested in this? Because a lot of times just that top of mind is what's gotten me into the door or gotten me into the trouble then I'm allowed to solve or to show my expertise or my ability to be valuable to you, Clint, by providing you with, uh, these guys were asking some questions. They're high net worth individuals. It sounds like something you could work with. I hope this is a good, valuable connection for you. And then you're just able to build that network where you become valuable to valuable people. You know, what you just said there, what I'm going to do right next is I'm going to replay that. It's in becoming... Uh, somebody that is connectable and asking the questions and then providing the value backwards that says, hey, thank you for that referral. By the way, I have two for you. By the way, would you be interested in this? Because a lot of times just that top of mind is what's gotten me into the door or gotten me into the trouble uh, that then I'm allowed to solve or to show my expertise or my ability to be valuable to you, Clint. And then you're just able to build that network where you become valuable to valuable people. Now, why did I just replay that cut right there? Is because what you said was so important on how you approach people. And, and 
I wanted people to hear this twice because it's how you communicate. And, and you're hitting this right on the head is that you don't come at it asking for things. You come at it saying, I want to give to you. And then, you know, it works, for, it works that way with everybody. If somebody's coming and they want to give me something, I want to give back right. to, to, to show that. So that I think that's key. And once they figure that out and they can start building their network around that technique. So first you got to find the people that can help those other individuals. And then it's moving to the money side. So you start finding the deals and the, you know, you're going to figure out how to underwrite these and they're good deals. But then you said you went to a family office and they're throwing millions at you. I don't know, man, I, that would intimidate the hell out of me. If I walked in and said, hey, you want to give me $20 million to do a deal? They'd look at you and say, no, not that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and the way that I approached that was I saw this family office was doing a deal with somebody else. Right. And I knew that other person, I said, Hey, what, what's the, what's, what's going on here? This is an awesome project. You are doing an incredible thing. How did you do this? And so this gentleman unwrapped the package for me and gave me all the things that I would need to know to approach the family office. Right. And so then I, I knew what their buy box was. I knew how they worked and I saw that. And I said, wow, I said, hey, if I could do something like that for you, would you be interested in doing that? And he says, yeah. So I put a project together that I thought might work in his buy box, handed it back to him and said, man, that's amazing. Any way I could follow you on this, I could, I could just see how this goes and how this gets done. Through that connection, I met all these people, right? So, oh, hey, guys, this is Shannon. He's the one that brought the deal to us. Oh, wow, this guy's, this guy's got some chops, right? Hey, guys, nice to meet you. I got some other projects that are like this one. If you'd be interested, all of a sudden the whole conversation changed. I'm not approaching the family office. The family office is approaching me. And so by changing that dynamic and saying, Hey guys, I probably gave up a million dollars, right? On this deal, I gave up a million dollars. I've made a lot more than that off of that single connection. Right. And then out of that, I went from building a 36 unit apartment complex to 180 unit apartment complex that all of a sudden blew up my portfolio, blew up my visibility. So now I can't even really quantify what I've been able to make off of that connection that it cost me, cost me a million dollars to make. But I would do that connection again all day long every day because now I've, I've, I've taken that next step. I've learned they pursued me. Then I was able to work with them and go, hey, I think we can do that this way. And they go, well, Capital Stack looks like this for us. And I go, great, let's go with that. You guys seem to know what you're doing, right? And now I was intimidated, Clint, very much so, but I was able to convey that in a way where now the masters, the guys with lots of money, were showing me how to do it instead of me coming in there, walking in the room going, I got this, boys and girls. Let me show you how I do it, right? It's called the Rob Netsky. It wasn't like that at all. I was able to get them, right? I was able to get them to show me what they wanted so that at the end of the day, it looked, sounded, smelled just like a family office would do it. And they've all been to family office classes. They've all been to finance classes. They've all been to all these things. Then out of that came the connection with the bankers, came the connection with the other people, came the connection with other high value, uh, high net worth individuals. And because I was then able to associate with those people, I've I've really expanded that network and taken advantage of that that one project to really, really change things in the trajectory of the business and where it's gone. Well, okay. You've been doing this for 20 years, right? but now we're in a unique time that the market's changed. We have these higher interest rates. You've got sellers that still think they can demand 
2021 prices. And we're stuck in this, hey, who's going to blink first mentality when it comes to properties and finding deals. So if someone's looking at this right now, do you see opportunity or you see sitting on the sidelines? Because what you were talking about with Ken, I mean, that's a hell of a lot of deals to underwrite to only find one, which is smart, right? Don't waste, don't don't jump because you're going to screw over the people you're bringing into the deal and then you're going to burn all those bridges. You got to be patient. But what should, as an investor, where, where should I be looking right now? What do you do? You mentioned it. I'm old, right? I've been doing this for 20 years. So's Ken, right? And the reason that Ken wasn't able to find deals that worked is because even though interest rates were incredibly low for the last 36 months, the people wanted more than they were worth and interest rates weren't going to stay there. And so really, we're back to where I'm used to working, right? I did my first deal at 9%. That's the world that I've lived in. And if you look at history, history will tell you that deals don't get done at three and a half caps. Deals don't get done right now. I just sold a property at a five and a quarter cap with 8% financing being what's on the table. That does not make any sense to me. So, which is exactly why I thought this is a great time to sell. But what I'm seeing a lot of people do is they're trying to make a deal instead of setting their parameters and going, this is what a deal looks like for me. Number one, we got to have cash flow out of the gate if we're buying something, right? If it doesn't cash flow, we're not interested in doing it. We've got to have the ability to lock in some long-term debt. Even if we can get short-term debt for cheaper, we always look at the long-term debt and what that's going to cost and make sure that that deal is going to pencil so I can lock in some long-term debt so that I can create some stability. And I'm going to look at history. Right now, Clint, we're looking at, I'm looking at industrial, uh, just spent a couple hours yesterday with one of my guys, uh, and we're looking at deals that are trying to be, they're, they're, they're being the ask prices at a five and a half cap and interest rates are at eight. So you've got negative arbitrage on all of your borrowed money. This doesn't work, but it doesn't mean we try and make a deal out of it. We just quickly go buy it and look for the next one. We're looking for that proverbial needle in a haystack and where eight months or 12 months ago, 24 months ago, people saw a deal everywhere because of how cheap money was. It didn't necessarily mean it was a deal because they were financing it with bridge debt that that was going to expire into who knows what uh they were paying you know best and final non-refundable million dollar earnest monies all these kinds of crazy things and i think that people get in a hurry to go bigger i think people get in a hurry to i did one now i got to do two i did two now i got to go four four eight sixteen and and all of a sudden they find themselves in a place where they can't really manage it or they've just tried to go big for big sake I'm here to tell you there's as much money in small deals as there is in big deals. There's probably more of an appetite right now for creative financing than any other time in our recent history because of where interest rates are at and where sellers are at. And when you can look at how you can solve the problem and it makes sense for you and it makes the problem get solved for the seller, there's a deal to be had. But you've got to look at it very abjectly and go, these are my things that it has to be, and you can do that in 10 minutes and move on and figure out what's going to happen later versus try and make something happen that's, quite frankly, monetarily ridiculous. I mean, you don't have to be the federal government. They're doing that all on their own, right? <laughs> so when you, when you talk about that deal, that industrial place, do you ever approach the, the seller and explain, try to explain to them the realities of the situation, or you're just saying, all right, if they're putting it there... They're not serious about selling or they're just looking for a sucker to come by 
and buy it. So it's not even worth my time. Well, I did just that, right? I sold that building at a five and a quarter cap. And what I was looking for was the guy that had an expiring 1031 and was all cash. Mm. So he came in and he goes, dude, I'm getting a five and a quarter percent return this year. And I got 3% rent bumps next year. And sometime in the future, I'll refi it. But right now I got to place my money, right? So there's some of that, right? This was a brand new building with brand new leases. It was, you know, it was top notch. But the other side, instead of trying to get the seller to understand why he's ridiculous, it's easier for me to find out why the seller's selling and see if there's a way that I can meet the seller's need to sell. Why are you selling? I'm selling because I'm tired of managing the property. The tenants are a pain in the butt. I don't want to deal with them anymore, but I still need money. Okay. Maybe that's an opportunity for seller financing where you can come in and do the work and earn in. And now you can take advantage of maybe some creative financing, some, you know, and, or maybe the seller's looking for his purchase price. Hey, I can get you your $10 million, Mr. Seller. Here's all the bank's going to give me. Here's the equity I can bring to the table. If you'll take a second position for 24 months with my pro forma, I can get you to a place where I can refi and get your money out. Do we have a deal? Because there's a lot of people stuck on a price because it sounds like a nice price. It's not necessarily based in reality. And guys like you and me, Clint, that drives us nuts because it has to boil down to reality, right? And you and I are sitting there going, this is an $8 million property at best. What is this guy smoking? He should be selling it rather than real estate, right? But when you can solve the seller's problem, that's what may open you up to something that may get creative. We're working on one right now. It's been on the market over 500 days. Seller's stuck at $8 million. We're going to solve the, if we can solve the seller's problem for the $8 million price, well, I can buy that at $8 million if I can find 3% money, right? Um, I mean, my office building that I'm in right now, it was that classic example. They wanted $4.5 million on a 67% occupied office building. I called them up. We were uh, 45 days out from closing. It was the last day of due diligence. And I said, I got some good news and I got some bad news, right? And they go, well, what's the bad news? I said, the bad news is the bank turned down my loan. And the guy goes, well, what could possibly be good news from there? I said, the good news is you guys are going to carry the paper on it, and I'm going to close in 45 days at full price. They thought about it for a minute. They, they'd been on the market for two years. They realized they, this was going to get them their price. They were going to carry back some paper for me. It was going to work out. Their worst case scenario was I invested the money to rehab the office, got some of the tenants, made it better. Maybe they wind up with it back, but they were no worse off than they were now. And they were collecting the same amount of money every single month as they were from the current tenants. So they did the deal, right? But you have to look at how to solve that problem rather than try and explain. And I see people do that all the time. They go in and I got to explain to the seller what's why they're stupid. Any of you guys that are married, you know how well that feels when you get explained, <laughs> you know, why why that's that's not the right way to load the dishwasher, right? I think what you did say is any, any of you that were previously married know why that doesn't right, work. Right. Well, Clint, my biggest problem was I thought loading the dishwasher meant my, meant getting my wife a second glass of wine. You know, it just it just wasn't never worked. So, heck, if I touch the dishes, my <laughs> wife will just that'll start a fight. I'm like, not doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All yours. Yeah. So, what are some of those? So, you've been throwing out some common mistakes. I think that people make just in their communication and how they approach individuals to put deals together because. You're right. There's that natural inclination to what you stated to say, hey, you're an idiot. There's no way you're going to get those numbers. And that's just going to entrench somebody. But when you come at it from the standpoint of being a problem solver and trying to understand the position of where they want to be and then finding a creative solution to get there, 
uh, you'll find you're probably going to get more deals. Yeah. So when you're talking about, you know, on your, your, your podcast, you know, why you quit buying houses and duplex for something better, where are you going with that? What, what should people take from, from that and what you're doing now and what they should be looking at? And is that applicable in all markets? Well, I think, you know, the, the main thrust behind that, Clint, is to think bigger, right? I mean, mm-hmm. look, let's let's talk about everybody's journey, right? I mean, like you said, they start out as a wholesaler because they have no money. Then they wholesale a couple of deals. Now they got the down payment for one. And then they keep wholesaling. Now they got the down payment for two. They do the burr strategy. They get their money back and they start to build their empire, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you spent that same amount of time looking at your total goal and saying, I want to be in large scale apartment complex, or I want to be in an industrial complex, and you really went to the family office route that I did, right? Where you bring a deal, you become valuable to valuable people. You're going to see yourself positioned in front of more money than you can shake a stick at in a shorter period of time that's going to allow you to build things at scale. And I think people look at this. I know I did for a long time, right? The reason my journey is 27 years is because I always felt like I had to be the solution to every single problem. And it's when I began to realize I am this and they could use that, but they have what I'm missing. And I began to start figuring out how I could partner, how I could work together, how I could add value to other people. Instead of eating my whole pie, which was this big, I could have a small piece of a pie that was 20 times the size, right? And Mm -hmm. when I really adopted that mindset, I stopped thinking small and I stopped thinking about trying to do a duplex and then a duplex to a fourplex. And then, a you know, uh, some people call it a quad to a, you know, a small 32 unit apartment complex, which does nothing but suck you dry on expenses because you don't have enough doors to spread it over. And and you're able to get into the bigger game by becoming a piece of somebody else's bigger machine and being valuable to them. Plus, you're going to absorb knowledge and information and avoid pitfalls that you're going to navigate by yourself, right? You're going to be, I mean, I know your journey is, you know, it's, there's all kinds of money laying along the way that you educated yourself with because you missed this or you did that wrong or you learned the second time. It's every entrepreneur's journey. But if you're looking at how to step out of the got to learn it myself by getting punched in the face to put yourself in a position where you are now coming at it from a place of I am learning from masters of the game because I'm creating and providing value to them and I'm getting taught at a master class level, you can advance so much farther, so much faster. And even a small piece of that is much more profitable than 100% of your own pie. When you're looking for deals then right now, I mean, you're in Boise, it's a phenomenal market or it has been. And now you just mentioned Florida. So a lot of the people that you know are listening to this or watching it, they live in areas where no matter what they do, they just cannot find the deals. And people tell them, hey, you need to look outside your market. Well, you have the connections, of course, but if you don't have those connections, then how do you take that and parlay that to, to a different market like Florida if I lived in Washington State? Um, what do you say to somebody like that? What, what should they do? Should they just skip it altogether and just stay local and just keep their nose to the grindstone? Well, I would say, you know, continuing to do the same thing that doesn't work and expecting different results is insanity, right? Mm-hmm. But what I, what I did is, you know, we're in markets from Washington to Florida, right? We're in Texas, we're Tennessee, uh, North Carolina. But what I did was I looked at markets first because it's the market. I'd rather do a good deal in a great market than a great deal in a good market because I have the whole market working for me in 
North Carolina versus 99.9% of the market working against me in New York. So I narrowed down. I've got nine markets in the US that I want to be in. I called my local realtors. I called all of them, right? And I said, I'm looking for contacts in these states. Now, all of a sudden, my realtors know that they can get a referral fee out of everything I buy. So they're calling the best they got, connecting me through personal relationship to people in that marketplace that I can now know are heavy hitters in that marketplace because they're referring them. I can then go in and start betting that market through experienced eyes instead of my own. Because I could fly there, I could rent a car, I could drive around, I could think I could figure things out, or I can go to a market expert in that area through a referral and make the connections and get inside track on inside deals. So that's what we do. So when we show up in a market, we have vetted the market, we've vetted the realtor, we've vetted the area, and we've got experts in the area that are telling us, along with our own analysis, that this is a good deal and this is something we should look at. The things that you typically ask a realtor to vet the realtor before you go in there? Oh, yeah. And this is the thing, Clint, I think you do too. I've got longstanding relationships with realtors here. And you know, because I'm a realtor, my son's a realtor, everybody in town knows that if you bring me a deal, I will buy it from you. I will not involve my family at all. You will get the commission, right? And I'm very clear about that. And I've done I've done a lot of deals uh, with people. So when I'm asking them for a referral, they know that I'm I'm serious, number one. And mm-hmm. number two, they're not going to in- introduce me to Clowny McDonald that is going to run me around. They're going to want that commission. So they're going to they're going to call their people and go, I got a guy looking for this in your market. Are you that person or who can you refer me to? So they will bet that because they know there's real money on the line. I mean, a typical referral fee can be upwards of 25 percent. Yeah. Well, the last deal we did in, in Houston was uh, was just over six million bucks. Right. In and out in 45 days. Well. My guy made a nice commission off of that, but he made sure that the people we were working with knew what they were doing so that we had the right people to get connected. And sure enough, 60 days later, he's got a check. You see, that's just that, that's an in that I don't think a lot of people talk about. And in fact, but honestly, I've never heard someone mention it in that way before, that context that your pathway into a different market is through your local realtor that you've built up the relationship with, that you've done deals with. Now you take them and leverage them. So you don't have to do it because you're, that's everyone bitches about this. Hey, you know, how do I find that realtor in that out of state market? Uh, you know, I've dealt with them and they don't seem to want to give me the attention I need or they bring me just, you know, crap deals. Right. It's because they just don't, they don't have that connection. Wow. Well, you deal with, you know, maybe even some of the larger brokerages, Keller Williams and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I mean, Colliers International and some of these others where they, they, they're very adept at the referral. They're very good at that and they know that it's good for the company. And so now they may be referring you inner office, but they I've also had, you know, the deal we just did in Florida was not one office to the other, right? It was another guy that when my realtor reached out to his contact in Florida, they said, man, that's not my market. But, you know, Jim over here, he eats, sleeps and breathes that area and he's going to get it done for you. And sure enough, the guy's knocking it out of the park, right? But I mean, the commission on one building, just the lease commission was $358,000. We did that twice, right? So there's a chunk of money exchanging yeah. hands based on my guy spending an hour or two on the phone and, and doing his due diligence based on knowing what we're capable of and wanting to make sure that I get into the best hands possible to make that a reality for him. Well, there's a reason why commercial brokers live on the water because right. they make really good money. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, 
So the question that, uh, you know, that I, comes to mind when we're talking about this, chicken and egg, money or deal? Money. Which comes first? Money. Money. Absolutely. You really need to get Absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, the reality is, uh, and, and the market is cooling off, right? So it's not as important mm-hmm. that you line up the money right now, but you've got to have an idea where that's coming from. And there's a lot of ways to do that because I think, you know, the deals are out there. If you've got money, you can put something out on social media and have 30 deals in front of you before nightfall. If you put something out on social media that says, I got a deal, I need money, you're going to have maybe two hard money lenders shoot you an email and it, it's a totally different thing. So, if, But if you can aggregate the capital, you're going to be in the driver's seat on where that's going to go. And it doesn't mean that you have to say, hey, I need the money in the bank account. But if you have a list that you're cultivating and, and you know, hey, Clint, listen, in my past, we've been putting together deals that have returned 17 to 23% to our investors. Uh, they're usually a 36 to 50 or 36 to 60 month cycle, and they come with bonus depreciation and a couple other things. Do you know anyone that would be interested in something like that? Well, actually, Shannon, I would, and I know a couple of buddies that would. Well, Clint, if I could find a deal like that, what do you think you'd, what do you think you'd want to put in a deal like that? hundred grand, man, easy all day long and put a hundred grand. Well, creating that list and making it twice what you need means that 50% of the people are going to flake on you, but you still got access to half the money that you thought. So if you, if you came up with a list that promised $3 million, that means you can comfortably come to a deal that needs a million and a half in capital and go back to your list and go, Hey, Clint, you know, that deal I was telling you about, I got a fresh one on my desk. Let me get you over the details. So it's not as hard as people make it sound or seem. But if you're constantly calling realtors going, hey, give me a deal, give me a deal, and they send you two or three deals and nothing happens, they're going to realize you're chicken little. You're you're saying you got this, but you don't, and they're going to stop wasting their time on you. But if I came back to you 12 or 24 months later and say, okay, Clint, I finally found a deal that works. Are you interested? The the answer is substantially a different result. Well, so so you get those... I mean, my experience with some commercial brokers is they call you up and they say, hey, I got this great deal in your area. It's a five and a half cap, but if we stabilize it, we can get this thing up to about a seven, seven cap. And and it seems like they're just pushing on you stuff that isn't necessarily moving with their other investors. And they're trying to see if they can pick it up. So when you, when somebody does that, so, so I'm working with someone new, how, do, how would you combat that and go back to that investor or to that broker? So you can still keep that deal full alive, but you... you you turn it around so it's not, hey, I'm just saying no, because you're right. If you just say no and you can't close, they're going to quit working with you. Right. But you want to keep the line of communication open. Well, so I would take the time to underwrite that deal real quick. So it's mm-hmm. a five and a half cap. So Clint, as soon as I buy this thing, you get paid. As soon as you get back on vacation from spending my commission, how long do you think it's going to take you to lease this up and at what rate? And can you show me some comps for that? So then you come back and you say, hey, here's my comps. I can get you up you know, 15% on the rents. Here's the leases that just closed. Okay. So I underwrite that and I go back to you and I say, Clint, this deal would work if the seller would take a 10% haircut on the price. Do you think we can get that done? Right. So that the, the so that the agent looks at that and goes, you know what? Shannon actually thought about that deal. He actually showed me that he has the capacity to think through the deal. He didn't just say no. Uh, you know what, Shannon, that's why this deal has been on the market so long. Oh, oh, Mr. Hansen won't sell it to anybody for less than the $4 million. Well, well, do you think he would be interested in a little creative financing, maybe a seller carryback? 
Well, let me go ask him, right? And so you're you're not wasting their time because you're showing them here's the nuts and bolts, and 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 I, it's got to be more than the realtor makes money on this deal. But this is how it would have to be for me to be able to make money. Because the one thing that we do, Clint, and I think this is this is true in your world where people think accountants know everything about tax savings and all that kind of stuff, right? Your your particular firm is very special in that regard. But everybody thinks that realtors know how to underwrite deals. And the reality is that 90% of realtors out there, I don't care how good they are in their brokerage, don't know how to underwrite a deal. They know what a cap rate is. They know what the market is. And they know how to sell. It's the financing, the capital stack, the underwriting that would go into that that would show this is all I could pay for that without something happening. Yeah. And when they when they see that you have that understanding and that capacity, they go, that guy's that guy's legit. That guy, that guy's gonna, I'm gonna get him a deal at one point. So Tim, I mean, you've been using a lot of uh terms that are specific to the industry and what we're doing. And if someone needed to get up to speed and they want to understand this stuff when you're talking about a capital stack, and other than just talking to someone, do you recommend people any resources out there that they could learn from yeah. and then just, you know, going to your podcast, Ken's, or, or what do you think? You know, I mean, I, I really do agree with Elon Musk on this. Everything you want to know, you can find on YouTube because you can. And, and this is the other thing that I see, you know, uh, if one of your listeners wanted to call me and have a conversation with me and, and wanted to get up to speed, I'm going to give them some homework at the end of the 15 minute call. Look, you asked me these things. I gave you these answers. Now I'm going to give you some homework. As soon as you're done with the homework, feel free to book another call, right? It's it's like, I mean, it's a common drug dealer tactic. The first 15 minutes free. From there, I want to see that you're going to invest in yourself. But, you know, if one of your listeners came and, and, and got, on, got on my calendar and, and we had a call and he says, hey, I heard you talking about Capital Stack. I watched this video and this is how they were explaining it. And I wanted to know more about MES debt. And I wanted to know more about preferred equity. I would go. That's somebody that gets it, and I'll give him some of my time. Back to that, not wasting time and not just asking for things, but being able to look at it and go, I see that you're you're working to, to make better. You're working to learn more. You're working to gather more information. You're looking to be smarter about what you're doing. Let me help you. Here's a couple of people. In fact, let me connect you one of, with one of my banking connections that'll tell you where these people hide. Now, all of a sudden, sure, you showed me some effort. I'll, I'll, I'll show you some. And I think that's what a lot of people do is they go, well, I'm just going to go to the expert and act like his time is free and just ask 25 questions instead of doing any of my own research to prove that I really want to know. And I've done some exploration on my own. Yeah, no, I know that that, that, that does get frustrating because, I mean, you just compared my firm to a drug dealer because we could go away free 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you know, uh, it, but, it, but it works, right? It works on every level, it, right? It does. Because it, you're... It does. And, it, and your firm, I mean, I've, I've, you know, we're, we're working with your firm on stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Because we see the value that you're able to give out in that 30 minutes that impresses me to where I go, man, not only can I use that, I got to get my clients involved because this, this is a smart firm. These guys are really intelligent. And now I, not only can I get value for me, I can bring value to you. And it's exactly that. I mean, now I'm looking at it going, man, this is incredible because now I get to be associated with you and your firm and the intelligence level that you've pulled together in that community is now I'm able to refer people in and I can get them a front row seat because of that free call. So that's, you know, I mean, it's, it's genius marketing and it works on every level. It's how I've gotten most of where I've gotten in life. 
Well, it just goes back to what you basically, you're right, what you basically said. You give mm-hmm. and then you'll receive. Absolutely. And, and and that's what drives it. And so I hope people get a lot from that. You know, when you throw out there that they can reach out to you, is it as simple as just going to your, your website? Yep. ShannonRobNet.com, yep. right? Yep. If you go to ShannonRobNet.com, you can see our job site cameras. You can get our newsletter. You can see all of our social media. You can even get to my calendar, book a 15-minute call. I'd love to talk. Yeah, and I would highly encourage uh, to take advantage of this that that's listening in or watching this because as you've shown, I mean, <clears throat> you've given us a wealth of information and you're so free with your time and your experience just shines through. And it's it's that no BS that, you know, you see a lot of people out there, you can tell they're not doing the deals, right? They're just talking about it. Right. They want to be there. Right. And you can sniff it. I mean, right. yeah. Yeah, doing you it. definitely learned that, right? Yeah. But, you know, Clint, if you could do something for me, if you could just write a letter like that to my guidance counselor in high school, that would really. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, man, thanks for coming on, taking the time. I really appreciate it. I know you're really busy and, and just take 45 minutes, 50 minutes of your time. Uh, I know it's commitment, but I truly appreciate it because uh, you, you give so much. Well, and I, you know, I, I, I've said this a lot and I want to thank you too, because I think that 2008 as a financial crisis could have been averted if we'd have had podcasts like yours that are bringing information to people, anybody that wants to use it. And I think that the more intelligent an investor is, the better success they're going to have. And it's podcasts like yours and it's people with your reputation that are curating that content and bringing it to people that allows them to up their game at no charge, I think is phenomenal. And I, I mean, you know, what you're doing for the investment community is awesome. And I appreciate it. I appreciate it. But just as we talked about earlier, by giving the information and people take this and they find success, they become clients. And so That's right. That's we're right. all motivated, right? We want, I want people to become investors. Truck dealer. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> dealer ALG crap. That's right. Yeah. So. Well, anyways, thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you, Clint. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode.